So, hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, you know how 2020 has been one of these years where nothing has gone according to plan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually. So, because we do this live, we decided it was really important to go on live. So, I've got my trusty, wonderful, helpful technology person. Hello. This I'm is Chris. Chris. <laughs> this is Chris at a Shared Universe podcast studio. And um, so our, our guest is a little late in arriving. So we're, uh, Chris and I are going to, Chris and I are going to fake it. We're going to roll with it, baby. Is that what we did two weeks Improv. ago? Improv. Improv. Yay. So um, we actually had not had a co-host today because we wanted to keep it very few people in the studio. Yeah. With Christmas coming, nobody wanted to spread anything that wasn't fun and exciting. So we uh, we didn't have a co-host and 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 now we're we're waiting on our poor guest to arrive and hopefully she'll get here because she's fascinating. <laughs> but in the meantime, because I had so much time to prep, Chris, let me tell you about what's going on at the chamber. Yay! Yay! Chris, so you guys, you gotta love Chris. Chris, first tell everybody quickly about yourself because okay. you're so awesome. So I am Chris. I'm the engineer. I'm usually here behind the camera uh, every time they go live, just cheering them on. Um, you know, I love working at a shared universe and I love being able to be a part of their podcast because this makes my Friday really great and start off to a great start every time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, David Hicks. Thanks for joining us. Um, so lots of stuff going on at the chamber. You know, you would think end of the year, we're kind of quiet. We're going we're, into 2021. We're going into 2021 and, and 2021 has to be better than 2020. Absolutely. But you know, I also know a lot of good things have happened in 2020. Yeah. Like I want to, let's point that out. Okay. We had, um, I have a friend who had got engaged and bought a house. I have another friend who bought a house. I have a couple friends who got married. Ooh. Not necessarily the weddings they were planning, but they got married. But it's still. It's happy. A couple people got engaged. You know, I mean, there were good things. There are businesses that are flourishing. IT businesses have been oh, booming. booming. Um, podcasting is great because now everyone is so used to being on the computer yeah. that we yeah. can share our joy and our humor and our love and happiness <laughs> through our podcast. So podcasts are doing really well. Um, and, you know, then there's the business that have struggled, which is, you know, and they continue to struggle, but they have a lot of support from the community, oh, yeah. um, a lot of support from business community, the public community. It's been really pretty cool. So uh, EMAC has been there. Every step of the way. To try to help out with everything on all aspects. Um, and, you know, we we shut down on March well, the town shut to, the, the we knew what was coming on the 13th. Yeah. Friday the 13th. No one can ever forget that. Um, Chris, I'm going to ask you to answer this because this is probably our yeah, guest. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so we shut down. Um, we actually worked in the office until the 20th. And then we shut down. And then from the 20th, we immediately went on to, um, we went live. Um, Monday the 23rd, we we went ahead and started with um, brought video Zoom meetings, um, connections, bringing programs to people, everybody on um, virtually. So we kind of just rolled with it. And uh, two weeks ago, we had Roll With It Baby as our background song because that's kind of the way we've been doing. But we've learned a lot in the process. So what we have done for 2021 is we have planned for the entire um, year 
to be either virtual or in person. So everything, every networking event, everything we have going on can be done either virtually or in person. So I'm going to give you guys a quick rundown of what's going on coming up in 2021. Just to start, um, in, uh, on January 13th, we have a taste of tab, um, as our business networking breakfast. So it's an opportunity to come and find out how an alternative board works. Um, if you run a business by yourself completely alone, then you, um, you, sometimes you need a sounding board and the alternative board is a way to get that information to you um, and to kind of learn about and have people to talk to back and forth. So we're going to do a sample board and you guys can learn a little bit more about tab and that'll be on the 13th. That will be virtual. Um, and then we have started a new program called Conversation and Coffee. And that is a 45 minute, no, not a 45 minute, a one hour networking, um, on Zoom right now. And it's been a great opportunity. We had a really successful one a couple weeks ago. We brought in a couple new members from that. Um, we can welcome Rosalind from Rosalind's Travel, Pr Chris Parmigiani from, um, CMIT Monmouth North, um, and Chris is back after answering my Whoa. phone. So what did we have, Chris? So she uh, is there at the at Robert Wood Johnson right now. Oh. Ready for um, something. But she said we can zoom her in and so, get so, her. So Chris, the ha happy technology person, is going to zoom in our guest today. <laughs> so while we do, while Chris works on that, I'm going to keep telling you guys what we have coming on. Um, good morning, Deb McNamee out in Minnesota where it's freezing and she has tons of, um, tons of snow. And uh, so um, let's see. On Tuesday, the 21st, we have the conversation and coffee. On Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday the 21st is conversation and coffee. Oh my God. Doing this by myself is much harder. And I'm the one that always talks, but right. I don't know why it's like harder for me to do it by myself. So, um, on Tuesday, the 26th, we're going to have a virtual business after hours. Well, since it's just us in here and we're yeah. six feet apart, Hello. I'm going to switch. I'm going to move a little bit further over from Chris and, uh, I'm going to take my mask off so that I can talk and breathe. It's so wonderful to see your beautiful face. Oh, thank Chris. Okay. So, um, we are quite far away from each other and, uh, I can breathe now. So that's a lot happier. Um, okay. So on the 26th, we have say it with flowers business after hours. Do you like that? It really goes the other way around. It's our EMAC business after hours. We're going to be joining everybody on, um, the network together on zoom. And we're going to have a flower project where you can create your own Valentine's um, centerpiece or some kind of something for Ooh. while we're all chatting and getting to know each other. Right. I mean, you're talking that. creative. You got to go out of the box these days, but you don't want to lose contact. I mean, contact is really important all the time. We are social beings. Contact is so much, so important to begin with. Um, recently we did a survey of the chamber and what we found out was that, um, you know, what people look for for a chamber of commerce is networking. So we are continuing to provide networking opportunities. They're just a little different. So we're going to be trying that. So that is on Tuesday, the 26th. We'll put the links up in. And um, <laughs> Deb McNamee in Minnesota says, I need more coffee. Yeah. Like, right? I haven't had any yet, and I'm bouncing off the walls. Um, so then some of the other things we want to do is chambers have a great opportunity to help our business, our member companies, um, market themselves in a way where they partnership or sponsor um, different ways to be 
have your name out there. Let us do some of your marketing for you, um, and get to know our members and be and have the association of a ninety-two-year-old uh, chamber and all the really cool not ninety-two-year-old people who are part of us. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, we want to thank our corporate partner, which is PDR Packaging Distribution Resources um, in Edison. Um, I also really want to give a special shout out to our Business After Hours sponsors for the year of 2020. They they bought a sponsorship package to support the entire year ahead of time, and then they um, and then they actually um, didn't get to have a lot of the events that they had sponsored. But I would really like to thank them for sticking with us and finding it a very valuable um, and enjoying promoting themselves through the chamber. And that is. That is, uh, yeah, right. Um, it is Tim Davis from Intercounty Mortgage Network. Some of you, if you're frequent podcast watchers, you've seen Tim sitting here as my co-host. Um, another industry that's been going really wild has been real estate and mortgages. Oh, yeah. So Tim has been incredibly busy. Um, he's always got time for new customers, though. So you know, reach out to Tim Davis of Intercounty Mortgage. And then two realtors, um, awesome in their business, really know what they're doing and work really hard to sell and purchase homes just for you, the right ones um, that makes changes everyone's lives. So, uh, Marie Noglos and Elaine Shembray from Woodward Realty in Rumson. So, special shout out and thanks to them. Um, and then we're looking into 2021 and we have our Spinnaker Awards. Our Spinnaker Awards are going to be held April 28th. Um, and we have. Um, it feels like just yesterday that the Spinnaker Awards were happening, right? Right. I mean, they were. They were a year ago, January. They were January 29th. Um, and, you know, they were supposed to be January 27th of 2021. <laughs> and uh, we moved them to April 28th of 2021. Um, we do have our award winners um, and our sponsors. So I'm going to give you guys that information now. Our award winners this year for 2021 are Volunteer of the Year, Marie Noglos from Woodward Realty Rumson. Arts and Culture Award, the Asbury Park Music Foundation. Woo. Public Service Award, Assemblywoman Serena DeMasso. Community Service Award, Zager Fuchs. Corporate Good Neighbor, Guten Plans Frozen Dough. Um, nonprofit Organization of the Year, the Grunin Foundation. Serving Monmouth County for over 50 years, the Kirchen Group. They may be around you know, a long time. I think they started very soon really? with the chamber. I think they've been members since 1938. I think I looked that up the other day. Um, and then our Emacs Next Generation Leader is Brian Puzo. So we've got eight award winners who are happy to accept and will be there on the 28th of April to celebrate with us. And our sponsors, our Admiral sponsor for that event is the Grunin Foundation. We have two Commodore sponsors, which is New Jersey Natural Gas and Weathervane Service. Our decor sponsor is Plates and Petals, event designs by Allison Forte. Our printing sponsor is JB Graphics Solutions. Uh, JB Graphics is also a Boson sponsor. Two Rivers Title Company is a Boson sponsor. Purple Glaze Donuts is a Boson sponsor, and EPS Corporation is a Boson sponsor. So, you know, jumping in really early as a sponsor, look at this. You're getting advertised for already on the podcast, and we'll be thanking our sponsors for all events on the podcasts um, going forward. So, uh, 
you know, if you are interested in a sponsorship of any event, we have our breakfast sponsors available, um, additional sponsors for Spinnaker, all sorts of great things coming up for the chamber. So if you're interested in sponsoring, please reach out to me at director at emacc.org. We promise we don't bite. We don't bite. We don't bite. We might even bring, we might even steal Chris away from the shared universe podcasting. No, we won't do that because he's too good here. But we love having him and helping me out today. And I greatly appreciate that. So, oh, we have Dr. Fisher on Zoom with us today. So great. Can't wait to meet her. I'm, I'm very excited. Should I turn to the chair and pretend she's sitting there? You should have put a Hi, Dr. Fisher. How are you? Oh, hold on. We can't. Oh, that's okay. You are a busy woman and, um, you know, it's 2020 and the thing that you've studied your entire <laughs> life is actually in fruit is, is in full, full force here today, isn't it? <laughs> oh, what a, what a crazy 2020 it has been. Indeed. Indeed. So I have to tell you, I am fascinated. I cannot even go and tell everybody all the things that you do that you've done for the country, for the world, for the pediatrics, for infectious disease, for vaccinations. I mean, I you you're just going to talk, you know, thank goodness I let it all out for the first 15 minutes cuz now you're in charge. I'm just going to let you spew everything cuz you're just I'm fascinated. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. no, first tell me a little bit about yourself and about um I'm very curious as to how you followed this path. Sure. So I'm a pediatrics uh, infectious disease subspecialist, and I um, kind of ended up in pediatrics not really by plan. I actually ended up in medicine not by plan. I mean, as I was growing up, I, I didn't really think about being a doctor. I tried some other things and, and you know, in industry, I, I thought I would go into um, research. None of that really, I didn't really like any of that. I, I, I then uh, took my pediatric uh, clerkship in medical school. I had decided when I started medical school that the only thing I didn't want to be was a pediatrician because <laughs> at that time in, 19, uh, in the 1970s, the only thing that women were fit to do was, to, was pediatrics. Really? So, yeah. So then I said, wait a minute, I love pediatrics. I, it's, it, uh, it really fit my personality. And I said, why am I punishing myself? This is what I should be doing. Then I got into my pediatric residency and I was very um, interested in infectious diseases. It's like the detective story of medicine. So you have to know a little bit about everything and you're looking for outbreaks, for organisms, for exposures, for, you know, hey, this person who's kind of not with it. Oh yeah, but they were bitten by a bat a few months ago. Does that have anything to do with anything? And just all of these neat things or, you know, the child who comes in with, with um, we, we had a child who came in with a, a very red eye and a big lump in front of the ear. And um, it, it was a little unclear what that was due to. And in the course of taking the history, I said, well, this was in January. I said, well, did you get anything new for Christmas? And she said, oh yeah, I got a kitten. And immediately we knew what the disease was. This was cat scratch disease. So wow. being able to take that history and, and find out you know, what's happening has, has really, uh, really makes infectious diseases thrilling for me. Thrilling for you. For well, what's really interesting is I was trying to get my 25-year-old is a teacher. 
Um, she teaches in Edison at Edison High School, and she teaches biology and forensics. So I was really trying to get her to take a sick day today or make it like a field trip for her students while she's doing virtual and come in here and co-host because the biology and the forensics is kind of what you just said you did. You kind of went research and knowing the cells and and then you said, you know, solving the mysteries of it's pretty awesome that way it combined. So that's it, great. It is. It, it absolutely is. And the wonderful thing about infectious disease is it's always changing. I mean, who would have known that or who could have predicted that 2020 would be such a miserable year due to this incredibly horrible epidemic? But for an infectious disease person, it's, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the best year of your life. <laughs> it's the worst year of everyone's like, life, but it certainly is a challenging year for every infectious disease doctor. And, and it's what's, what's brought me now at this point in my career, what I'm actually going to do, I'll, I'll be stepping down next week as the chair of pediatrics uh, here at, at uh, the Unterberg Children's Hospital. And I'm going to be working with the, uh, with the New Jersey uh, Department of Health. I, I'm a special consultant to the commissioner and I'll be the director of the Office of Pandemic Response. And really my job is gonna be to help with rolling out the COVID vaccine throughout New Jersey and hopefully putting a, a halt to uh, this pandemic. I mean, that, that is, so that you're going to be working with the person to my left who needs no introduction, Judy Percy Kelly. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry, but she's got that whole title. It's like from the governor speaking about her. She's got that whole title. So you'll be working with her. So there'll yes. be two of you who'll need no introduction. Absolutely. Because you're both amazing. So I have a question for you about the vaccine. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I have a couple of high risk um, issues going on. So my sister, who loves me dearly and who is has been paying attention to this since Christmas last year because her son was doing semester at sea in the Pacific, the Asian Pacific Ocean. So that's kind of he was all over Asia during all of the winter. So she's been paying attention to this and on top of it. So she's sending me get on the list. The vaccines are coming. Get on the list. Get on the list. So how do you do that? How do you get on the list? How do you find out where you fall in need? Because I certainly don't want to take it from someone who needs it more than I. So how do you do that? You don't have to worry because the, the state is very much on top of this and is rolling out the vaccination. Right now, the vaccines are already going to hospitals. Healthcare workers are already being immunized, and that's all healthcare workers, everybody who works in the hospital, everybody who keeps our hospitals um, you know, working. So, mm -hmm. so that's where the vaccine is right now. We're giving it to the people within healthcare who have the highest risk of exposure, then we'll go on to moderate risk and low risk. And the other thing is within the next couple of weeks, we will be vaccinating everyone in long-term care settings, both the residents and the staff. Then we will shift to essential workers. So essential workers really are the police, the fire, the teachers, the, the people who keep our food supply going, the people who keep our transportation working. So all of those people who, who uh, I, I, I kind of laughed because my badge says essential worker right here at the top. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I ever have to wonder, I just, oh, okay, I'm oh, an essential Oh, look, I am. Okay. <laughs> you know, 
but it's it's the people who even when they close the highways you're allowed to be on the highway to drive because your job is considered essential and then after those are immunized then we will get to people who have risks what we call comorbidities so any kind of chronic illness um, any anything that would put you at higher risk of getting sicker so we're probably talking about March or April could be a little sooner the really really good news is uh, that it is very very likely that tomorrow the emergency use authorization for the second vaccine the moderna vaccine will come out so that means not only will we have pfizer but we'll have moderna vaccine and and they will be coming weekly deliveries to the state of new jersey and as you know the commissioner's goal is to immunize 70% of the people who live in New Jersey, and we want to do it as quickly as we can. So, you know, the, the commissioner will be making all kinds of announcements of how we're going to do that, but there will be a registration system that so that every everyone who lives in New Jersey can sign up to get the vaccine, and you will be asked a certain number of questions and you will find out and you will be able to register in that way. You'll be able to find a site for where the vaccine will be. And then you'll be able to register for your second shot. Because remember, Great. both of the vaccines require two doses. Yeah. So the and, Pfizer vaccine, zero time and three weeks. And the other vaccine, zero time and four weeks. That's great. You know, so so prepare those arms, warm them up yes. really, because I have to say I got a shingles vaccine on Wednesday and my arms a little sore. Is that like normally a sore one? That's a very sore one. So, and, and that one's <laughs> that's also a two dose. Yes, it's um, a two dose. You, I'm get, so you get to wait a little bit longer for that second dose. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and that is is by that is absolutely one of the more uh, react what we call reactogenic. They cause reactions. Um, but but one of the things that we have to think about is we think about these reactions that you have to vaccines. Mm-hmm. What it means is your body's making a response. So so it's good news. Right. It's what you want. Right. Yes. You know, it means that it means the vaccine's working. Yeah. So that's awesome. So you'll be able to register and find out. You don't have to worry about like wondering where and how to get a vaccine. It's going to be out there. It's going to be easy. So as Absolutely. The, as the Chamber of Commerce, we will do our best to keep in touch and keep that information provided as well um, out there for anyone who checks out our website. So we have this awesome news link on our website that keeps everybody up to date as much as we can on everything. So and you can go to the New Jersey Department of Health website. Yeah, that would be a good a whole, one. That's actually what our link website. That's actually yep. what our link will be to. We'll put it Perfect. up there, but it's a link directly to the right place. We we don't mess Perfect. around trying to pretend we know what we're doing. We just know who to tell you to call. <laughs> it's all it's, it's what we man, major in. Um, so can you give us some hospital updates for Robert Wood Johnson, Monmouth, uh, Barnabas Health, Monmouth Medical Center? Sure. Did I get it all? I know it's a long name now. Those of us who were local, it was always just <laughs> Monmouth Medical or Monmouth Med. Now it's like this big, really big, long name we want to say, right? Yeah, and for the Children's Hospital, it's the Unterberg Children's Hospital at Monmouth Medical Center, a member of the RWJ Barnabas Health System. Wow. 
Wow. It's a mouthful. But, no wonder, but, no uh, wonder Philly went to chop. You know, no wonder Philly went to chop because that <laughs> that's just a lot easier to say chop than all that other stuff. You guys are going to have to come up with a better acronym to give yourself so that you can be up there with them. So how is the status of COVID at, at your hospital? And um, maybe what would be interesting to find out is the percentage of, you know, are you dealing with any children um, currently with COVID and all of that? Sure. So, so let me do the hospital as a, a, as a whole to start with. Mm-hmm. So across New Jersey, all of the hospitals have seen an uh, uptick of cases. Uh, we know that part of this is that we were surging and then Thanksgiving happened. Right. And not everybody really paid attention to the recommendations to not gather. And that put a surge on top of the surge. So at Monmouth, we had um, at the in in uh, in October, we had probably less than five cases of, of patients with COVID in the hospital. Now we're back up into well into double digits. So we're in the 20s to 30s of people who are in the hospital. We're beginning to see patients in the intensive care unit. We're beginning to see patients who need uh, ventilators to help them breathe. And, and our numbers are not nearly as high as um, community medical center um, where, where their numbers, they're well over 100 patients hospitalized. And, and I'm sorry, where is that hospital? Uh, Tom's River. Okay. So Ocean County? Ocean County, okay. yes. Yeah. And then in the north, we know that in Newark and at, at uh, St. Barnabas, they're also seeing increased numbers. And at Claremont, which is, is close by, their numbers, again, are really very high. So Monmouth, um, I mean, so Monmouth County is increasing but doing better than other counties around, or you're saying we're about the same? I think we're about the same. Okay. I, I'd love to say we're doing better, but I, I think, honestly, we're about the same. So so I, it, what it means, I, I mean, we have this light at the end of the tunnel. We know we're going to get a vaccine, and the vaccine's going to help us. But we also know that we, we, have, um, we have a problem. We have increasing um, disease right here, and we have people that are, that are not doing the basics that we need them to be doing. So we need people to wear those masks. We need people to stay six feet apart. And, and I, I'm very careful to call it physical distancing, not social distancing. I, I don't want you to be socially distant no. because we know mental health problems right now are a huge deal. So we want you to be socially connected, but at a distance. Right. So keep your six feet away, but stay connected to your family, to your friends in any ways that you can actually try to make that happen. Wear the masks, not only outside, but when you're indoors, if you're not like we are, sitting in an office with no one else, that's fine. We don't need a mask. But as soon as someone walks into my office, the mask goes on. So make sure that you're wearing those masks. And, and I can, sometimes it, if, you, if you explain why those masks are important, maybe it'll help people to take note. So we know that this virus is spread by droplets. As I'm talking to you, as I'm singing or shouting or, or just, just being myself, I'm making droplets. So, you know, those little spit things that fall onto your computer top, you know, we, we all know what droplets are. <laughs> yes, yes, they're so, so the, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is that most of those droplets will fall to the ground within three to six feet. So that if you, even if you don't have a mask on, 
those droplets are going to fall harmlessly to the ground three to six feet. Now, if someone's up close personal talking to you, those droplets are going to fall onto that person. If you put the mask on, okay, mm-hmm. and if you put it on properly, so right. the mask has to go over your nose and over your mouth. Like this. Masks that are down here do not help. No. We're not trying to cover your chin. We're trying to cover your nose that, and your mouth. That just keeps your chin warm in the snow. That really doesn't Correct. do anything for this. It, yes. It's actually, when you're out walking, especially now, this really helps to keep you warmer. So, but we also know that it helps decrease the droplets. And if you don't believe me, try to blow out a candle, okay? All of us can blow out a candle if we're just doing it. But if you put that mask on, you'll see that that doesn't go anywhere. You can't blow out the candle. And it will also tell you whether you're wearing the mask properly. Okay? That's a great test. Um, You know, I have a question because they're saying, you know, originally it was wear the mask to protect other people. No, it does both. Now, can you explain how it protects you? Because to me, it made sense that it protected you first because you weren't going to inhale anything. But then everybody's like pushing because you're protecting others. And the people who are protecting others have been protecting others really well. The people who aren't following the guidelines, I think, don't realize they can protect themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I I mean, fortunately, many people do want to protect everyone. So it does protect others because if you're infected and you don't know it, and mm-hmm. so you're not isolating because you don't realize you're sick, you are you are spitting out that virus. And if you have the mask on, you're spitting it into the mask and it's not going out into the air and infecting other people. But the other thing is these are filters. So this filters the air that's coming to you. So it decreases the amount that can get through. Is it perfect? No, of course not. Nothing's perfect in this world. Right. But it's certainly better than nothing. Now, the reason that it, it's not, the other reason it's not perfect is it covers your nose and your mouth. It doesn't cover your eyes. So within the hospital, not only do we wear the masks, but we have to wear goggles. Oh, okay? what so, about these? So face the goggles are so that nothing comes in through the side. Or you can wear a face shield like you have there. The face shield will also just keep the virus from coming to you. So you need the face shield and the mask. To be, yes. To be For really... maximum protection, you need them both. Okay. What about gloves? Okay. What about gloves? Uh, gloves are, are gloves are not necessary. And, and now, if you're in the medical profession and you're in a room taking care of a patient, you're going to get blood on your hand, something like that. Yeah, wear gloves. But for... For the time that I'm at home, I, I never wear gloves. I, the only way, time I wear gloves is to keep my hands warm. Yeah. And that's not, <laughs> that's not the, the gloves that we use in the hospital. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, because I was thinking about if your hands, if you have to wash your hands so often and for so long, but you're wearing gloves, you don't wash your hands with the gloves. You're not washing the gloves. So whatever you're touching is. Exactly. Is- so the gloves can actually make it worse because you have a false sense of security and then you're you're not you know you're not thinking so you're picking up viruses and and you they're on the gloves they're not being washed off because you're not washing your hands right and then it's more likely that you're going to put them back on your computer board or on your phone when you pick up your phone you're going to put it on your phone or what we know is we know that when people are just sitting around mm-hmm. they tend to do two things they rub their eyes and yes they pick their nose Okay. Yes, they do. People do. 
people pick their nose. You know, I'm almost wondering why is that a social thing that's bad? Because everyone does it. So can we just accept it and stop, you know, sometimes there's nothing, a blow will not work. It's got to be a pick. I'm just saying. Sorry. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. There's actually a New England Journal of Medicine study that looked at how often people rub their eyes and pick their nose. Really? Really. They looked at two different groups. One was a small setting, like a Sunday school setting, where people were in a circle. They were looking at each other. Nobody picked their nose. But eye rubbing was happening one to two times an hour. Then they went to medical grand rounds, a bunch of doctors and nurses in an auditorium listening to a talk. Nose picking was as common as eye rubbing. If you don't believe me, on your way home today, look in the car next to you. <laughs> right. Some of us need not even look outside our own car. <laughs> you will see nose picking is common adult behavior, not just kids. Not just kids. Right. It's everyone, right? <laughs> yep. But good news. It's harder to you pick your nose pick if your you're nose. I know. So it keeps <laughs> it keeps your hand away from your nose and away from your mouth. And those are the that your hands are the major things that transmit infections. So if we can keep our hands out of our eyes, out of our nose, out of our mouth, we'll see much less disease. And let me tell you something that's been absolutely remarkable. So far this year, there's almost no influenza in Monmouth County. There is almost no respiratory syncytial virus infection in children. This was the most common cause of hospitalization of pneumonia in young infants. We are seeing almost no respiratory syncytial virus. Why? Probably a couple reasons. First of all, and I hate this reason, children aren't going to school. So they're not congregating. They're not getting together. So they're not transmitting things. And second of all, some of the adults are actually paying attention and wearing the masks and keeping the the physical distance. So I want everybody to get vaccinated so we can go back to school because I truly believe that in-person learning is far superior to, um, to Zooms and, and, and uh, you know, computer learning, uh, particularly for, for families where there isn't somebody who can sit at home with the child and, mm-hmm. and help them on the computer. Um, so, so this is really disadvantaging all children but it's unfortunately, as for most things, it's disadvantaging the disadvantaged even more. So as soon as we can get back to school, I'd like that to happen. So that's going to mean we need to get everyone immunized against COVID-19. That's yeah, that is so true. And speaking from as a mom who's home, well, I work in the office, but I can also work from home. But I have a teacher who's working from home and I have a senior in high school who's working from home. And they're both, you know, it's really hard. Like my 25-year-old was devastated last night. She's like, I went into teaching to interact with kids, to help them learn, to watch it on their face. I can't see that in a square. Um, And she was, you know, she was having a really tough day yesterday. And I think that happens. I had a question about, um, you know, so these, the babies who you would normally have out at a park or the young kids who would be going to preschool just for social interaction. How is this going to affect their immune system in building up immunity to regular germs that they're going to interact because they're not in school socializing with other people and being around the germs with the opportunity to fight them off? Sure. Um, And, you know, we don't know for sure, but it's pretty predictable. So what we know, we know that children who, uh, young children, toddlers, 
who are in childcare centers get a lot more respiratory infections and more uh, GI infections, so diarrhea and vomiting. And they get a lot more colds and otitis media and things that, that involve the respiratory tract, the lungs. So we know they get a lot more of those if they're in childcare versus if they're at home and they don't have, you know, 15 siblings. So we also know that when they, as they get older, when they go to school, so when they finally get the first grade, they don't get sick as much because they have built up that immunity. So for our children now who have spent the last year uh, primarily at home in small families, they definitely are at risk that once we start in school, you know, back again mm -hmm. in, a, in a more routine way, there's no question that, that they will be more likely to get more illnesses. But they'll also be, you know, hopefully a little bit older. Their immune system should work very well but they probably are going to get a series of illnesses more than they would have before. It's, it's, it's a guess, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's an educated guess. It's an educated guess based in science and research and, and history. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I love to sound smart. Thanks for accepting that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, I had an interesting thing happen in February. And I'd kind of like to discuss this a little bit with you, if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, I was um, unfortunately dealing with a very sick family member in a hospital in New York City all last February. So I was riding up and down the elevators with doctors and nurses, and it was a teaching hospital. I believe they had students there. And so some of the younger nurses were in the elevator with some of the older nurses or doctors. And the discussion was about SARS. And, you know, we work on vaccines, we look at diseases. SARS has been a disease that's been around. So one of the young professionals asked, why is there not research on SARS in general? And we start developing, um, you know, some kind of vaccination or prevention for SARS in general. I'm bringing that to you to say, was it a valid question? What's a good answer? Um, you know, I'll so so of course it was a brilliant question, and in fact, already in February, you know, starting in January, as soon as the genetic basis of this virus was uh, revealed to the world, and you know, China made the genetic code available to the world, the companies Pfizer, Moderna, other companies already started on making vaccines. And, you know, outside the U.S., there are four or five other vaccines that are being tested, well, four or five that are already in use globally. There are over 150 vaccine products being tested throughout the world, and people were doing exactly what that nurse suggested. They were looking at ways to prevent coronaviruses. SARS is one type of coronavirus. So how could how could, what kind of vaccine could they design to protect people against these coronaviruses? So here's where we've come to now. So, so the coronaviruses are named corona after the Latin for crown. And they have these little spikes on them. And the spikes are a protein. And the body can make a response to that protein that would block the, the, usually what that protein does is it, that allows it to latch onto a cell. So if, if I'm the protein here and I put a blocking antibody on top of there, 
then that virus can't get into the cell. So it can't make you sick. So what the, what, uh, what the Pfizer company and the Moderna company did was they took the little piece of genetic coding that tells you how to, tells a cell how to make that protein. And that's called messenger RNA. So they took that messenger RNA that specifically codes for that spike protein. Okay. That's all it does. It tells the cell, make some spike protein. And it put the Pfizer Moderna took that messenger RNA and stuck it into a fat particle, a lipid nanoparticle. I mean, this sounds like science t- science fiction, right? It, it does, so except cool. that it, and it's actually it, reminding it, it me happened. of an SNL yes, skit. Did you, do you watch SNL? Because there was an SNL skit the other day where they were wearing <laughs> these hats that had the little protein pieces sticking up and they were the Rona family. <laughs> but you're saying this and it's like, it's crown. They made proteins. It was quite quite on par um, with course. the SNL as, skit. But anyway. As Saturday Night Live always is. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> So, so now you, you, take, you take this little coated messenger RNA, you put it in a fat particle, you inject it, it goes into a muscle cell, the, the lipid, the fat outside allows the messenger RNA to get into the cell, the messenger RNA, the code, is then decoded and protein is made, the protein goes out onto the surface of the cell and also out out of the cell into that fluid that's in your body. Because it's not a human protein, it makes an immune response. So your body reacts to that protein, says, whoa, wait a minute, protein, you don't belong here. You don't belong on a a human cell. So it makes antibody against it to kill it off. And that antibody then protects you when you get exposed to the coronavirus. That is awesome. So, yep, every, so, so if you take the vaccine and then get the antibody test, will you have the antibodies? Yes. Cool. It's so cool. Yep. <laughs> now I know why you did this for a living. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's very cool. I really wish my daughter who taught was here for this. She'd be going nuts. We have like <laughs> nerd city in our house where she gets so excited and, and proud of it. It's so fun. Um, so the vaccine that they've worked on, and and I just want to clarify the the protein is a is a corona, so a crown protein for any protein. right a spike protein for any coronavirus. So this was coronavirus nineteen. What other coronaviruses have we had, and is there a prediction for coronavirus in the future? So there are four recognized coronaviruses that we've known about for the past sixty years. Um, and those circulate every year. They infect literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of children, and they cause the common cold. And they don't make them very sick. Just as, by the way, coronavirus 19 doesn't make children very sick. And if it's now affected over a million children, and very, very few, less than 1% have ended up sick from it or in hospitals. Not, well, maybe it's 2%, but it's not very many children have ended up needing hospitalization. So it causes just the common cold in children, and they have been circulating for a long time. We think that it's more common in children than adults because you do get immune to them, and then that immunity, you know, lasts into adulthood. 
Um, the then there are these these outbreaks um, due to coronaviruses, and the first one, as you mentioned, was SARS. That was back in in two thousand and three, and that was probably a bat coronavirus and a civet cat coronavirus, and the viruses of those two species somehow combined and made the SARS. It could be SARS-CoV-1. It's just called SARS virus. Okay, mm-hmm. that uh, had an outbreak in Asia. It started at the outdoor food markets where they kept the civets. Civets are endangered species um, for very weird reasons. They're endangered species. It turns out that the civet cats eat coffee beans and partially digest them. And then, if you take the civet stool, you can actually make this very fancy coffee. Out of those partially digested coffee beans. Interesting. I think I, do I want to be a civet stool sifter? I don't know. Is that a new career for me? Oh. <laughs> so yeah, it does make one cringe, but but that that is the civet story. Okay. So and that had caused outbreaks locally within Asia. Uh-huh. It did not get much out of Asia, and by the way, it did not involve children. Children were not infected, and were not were were very very small percentage of the total cases. Then that came and went. It, by 2004, SARS went away. The next outbreak was MERS, M-E-R-S, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And that seemed to be a combination of the bat coronavirus and the camel coronavirus. And those two viruses got together and they made the MERS virus. The MERS virus has only caused disease in the Middle East. So it's the Arabian Peninsula primarily, and it truly is where the camels are, okay? And again, children barely, barely ever infected. However, MERS still exists in the, in the Arabian Peninsula and still causes periodic outbreaks, but very small outbreaks, nothing like this um, SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2, again, is a back coronavirus and maybe it came directly from the bats, or maybe it had something to do with pangolins. Pangolins are spiny anteaters. They look like anteaters, but they're mammals. And maybe that pangolin virus and the bats virus got together, or maybe it came directly from the bat. Not clear. The bad news is bats carry thousands of strains of coronavirus. So could there be another, you know, could there be SARS-CoV-5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? Yeah, there might be, but we don't really, we don't really know what, what ch- change has to happen to allow a back coronavirus to start infecting humans. That's what I was wondering. Like, how did this get to the humans? And the difference between the MERS and, and the, this coronavirus does the MERS not travel? So, like, we know that this came through humans who traveled from one place to the other so frequently. Yeah. No, it's it's not that it doesn't travel. It's it's part of it may be because it's more likely to kill its host. So, you know, it's not in the best interest of a virus to kill its host. If no. you kill off everybody you infect, you can't get transmitted much. So the fatality rate for MERS was around 60%. Wow. And it, it may, and it just isn't very efficiently transmitted from person to person. 
So, and we still don't know how the bats give these diseases to the humans. Correct. I've been afraid of bats my entire life. Like, it is a joke how afraid of bats, like, people who know me, they, like, laugh because I'm so afraid of bats. There's a reason. Well, it's you and everyone else. But, yeah, in this case, there There, is a reason. There's a reason. (laughs) My reason when I was little and got afraid of bats had nothing to do with this, but I'm just, it's not going to go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, things flying in the night you know, do, do kind of make us jittery. Yeah. I mean, we know they do good too. I mean, bats are there. They oh, eat yeah. a lot of the insects. They're, they're very beneficial. So we don't want to get, absolutely. They're very beneficial. We do not want to get rid of the bats, but we'd really like to get rid of their SARS. Yes. Or Corona and, and, or whatever. Know, the bats were also involved in Ebola virus. And what's so, the difference? I'm just going to go off on tangents and ask you a gazillion questions when they come to my mind. What's the sure. difference between an Ebola and a and a and a corona, like sure. So, so Ebola is a hemorrhagic fever virus. So it's it's not a respiratory virus. So it's not it's not. Uh, we don't know exactly how Ebola is spread, but it seems to be exposure to uh, body fluids. So mainly blood and body fluids. And it actually, if you're infected with Ebola, it causes high fever, and then you just start to bleed, and you essentially bleed within yourself and bleed to death. Ugh. Uh, Ebola has an extremely high fatality rate. In in uh, Africa, it's it's probably more than 80, 90 percent fatal. Wow. Um, and and even even outside of Africa, even with under the best circumstances, it has a high fatality rate. So we keep hearing about the increased deaths, and as we and I completely agree with everyone who says one is too many. But you said the the sixty percent in the MERS. 80 or 90 in the Ebola, what's the percentage, what's the death rate with the COVID-19? Uh, it's only about 2 or 3%. So if you look overall, mm-hmm. which is why it can infect, you know, 16 million, but we only have 250 or 300,000 deaths. So, you know, if you look at those numbers, you, you, you kind of get a feeling. Right. However, the coronaviruses are not equal opportunity infectors. So, you know, these agents have unfortunately caused the most severe disease in the people least able to fight them. So older people, the frail elderly, um, almost half of the deaths in New Jersey were in people who live in long-term care facilities. Uh Um, And then a huge disproportionate number of people of color. So African-Americans and Latinx people. Um, Latinx particularly high percentages of people who end up hospitalized and end up with with um, end up in intensive care units and with with, um, you know, with illness. Why is it more common in in those groups? We think that that um, for sure part of it is the racist nature of the United States and the the non-equal opportunity you know, it, we don't give equal opportunity to people of color and we don't give them equal health care. So we know that they have many more well, what we call comorbidities and they, other things wrong with them. And those um, those problems increase their risk. Not only that, but their housing opportunities are not the same. So many live in multi-generation housing. So they're in crowded conditions. When they go and travel, they have to use public transportation. So they have much more exposure because they're on buses, they're on trains, they're in subways, 
you know, they're not in their car by themselves because they don't have cars. Um, so all of the things, all the things that, um, that, that, um, increase your risk for exposure are really things that also, unfortunately, are linked with, with, um, with not having the same opportunities, um, that, that white privileged people have. Um, what, how long do you, I mean, so I know situations with various, um, people who have had long lasting effects and they're not all the elderly, you know, um, they are younger, you know, in their thirties, forties, um, you know, and now that I'm in my mid fifties, I definitely refer to them as the much younger people, the thirties and forties. Um, so, you know, who have had, you know, they, they got the disease in March or April and they still have heart problems. Um, I have a friend who passed away from pulmonary embolisms. We believe that were a result of COVID that he was two months later. Um, there's, you know, so there's, and you keep hearing about this and it takes a long time to get over it. How long and how are we going to be able to track those lasting um, effects? And are we seeing a trend already? Like, is there stuff to already look, look toward? So, so people are tracking this um, and, and um, there are uh, clinics, people, you know, the universities have set up some clinics to try to follow people with COVID to see actually what happens to them. And, and you're right. There are many, many, many people who have lingering effects uh, from COVID. In, in that way, it's not really different from other diseases. So if you look at influenza, there are plenty of people who seemed fine. They got influenza and now they have chronic fatigue. Um, or what's called post-viral asthenia. I, I mean, they just can't get back. They just they just don't go back to their to what they were for for months to years, and some never. So so we don't we, we don't really understand whether that's an unusual immune reaction or exactly what you know makes one person have these lasting effects while other people will recover completely and not have any trouble at all. You know, that many people lose their sense of smell and their sense of taste. Almost all the time that comes back, but not always. So there are lots and lots of lasting effects from this. And then, of course, there are the, the, the horrible um, effects on, on, our, on our children and, our, and, and, on, and their parents. So not being able to go to school is going to be a lasting effect for those kids. Mm -hmm. Um, their, their parents being out of work or having their salaries cut mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the, the businesses can't afford to go on. You know, think of the poor people who are trying to run, uh, restaurants when, when they're supposed to do it at half occupancy and, and, or quarter occupancy. I, I mean, how can they possibly keep that open? They have to fire their workers. Uh, it's, you know, this is a whole, a whole, um, a whole assault on our way of life. So it's going to take a long time to recover from this. Some people will not recover. And we know that, that how you feel mentally and how you, how things are going for you mentally absolutely affects your physical health. Mm -hmm. So if you've lost your job, if you, if you can't, you know, see your way out of things, 
we, with their horrible statistics on the increased incidence of suicides. Yes. Um, and, and that's across the board. And that's dom- not just domestic violence just as well. Before. I mean, just definitely. Um, yeah. And even if you, you know, feel like you're way better off than a lot of the other people, the stress is still there. You know, I think we've been spending a lot of time talking to our health and wellness um, committee members um, and they, you know, we it's it's a struggle because even if everything is fine, you're both employed, your children are doing okay handling their school. There's still so many stressors that you've never experienced before. And all the more and, and, you know, that I keep seeing the public announcements of if you don't feel well, go to your doctor. Don't be afraid it's COVID. Don't be afraid if it is or isn't. Get help if you're not feeling well because you can still get sick. And stress is a huge, huge um, catalyst for illness as well. Oh, no question about it. So, you know, your immune system doesn't work as well when you're stressed. Um, nothing works as well when you're stressed. And the amount of anxiety and and uh, isolation that people are feeling, I, I mean, think, you know, when was the last time you got a hug from someone? It, you know, it's just it, it, those those human touch that mm-hmm. that we've that we haven't experienced. And and think of all the families who have lost loved ones and couldn't visit. Yeah, you know, all couldn't couldn't get that closure that normally goes on. So so this is going to be a very very long lasting effect on on us. But you know, I have my greatest uh, my greatest hope is that our children will show us they're resilient and that they will show us how to come back and how to come back stronger. Um, but in the meantime, I, I see we're running. We're, it looks like we're running to the end of the we, hour we here. Are. <laughs> so, so I'm going to say we need to stop this, this epidemic, and we can do that by everybody getting vaccinated when your time comes. And in the meantime, please wear the mask, stay physically distanced, Stay home if you're sick. And please, for the holidays, don't travel. Don't gather in groups. Don't go anywhere. Don't Stay have home. parties. Yeah. I, I, I realize it's a horrible thing to ask, but no New Year's parties. It's let's get into 2020, 2021 rather, and have a brand new year where we can begin to see the end of this pandemic and start to recover and become resilient. Well said. And I just want to say congratulations. And boy, do I feel lucky. Um, First, having this conversation with you. And second of all, knowing you're going to be such a leader for our state in keeping us healthy and safe and move us forward through the rest of this and into the healthy part. So thank you for everything. It's, It's been an honor, Dr. Fisher, to have you with us today. Well, thank you. And I I really appreciate being here and my sincere apologies for uh, giving you such angst at the beginning. And I'm I'm glad we we got it to work. And and I think uh, I really enjoyed the session. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday. And with that, we'll sign off for everybody and say we will see you in the new year.